0: chapter 2 of the silent house this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by monica Canupi. the silent house chapter 2 shadows on the blind the landlady of denzil was rather uncommon species of the class she inclined to plumpness, was lively in the extreme, wore very fashionable garments of the brightest colours, and although somewhat elderly, still cherished a hope that some young men would elevate her to the rank of a matron at present. Miss Julia Greeb was an unwedded damsel of forty summers who, with the aid of art, was making desperate but ineffectual efforts to detain the youth which was slipping from her. She pinched her waist dyed her hair, powdered her face, and affected juvenile dress of the white frock and blue sash kind. In the distance she looked a girlish twenty. Close at hand, various artifices aided her to pass for thirty, and it was only in the solitude of her own room that her real age was apparent. Never did woman wage a more resolute fight with time than did Miss Greeb. But this was the worst and most frivolous side of her character— for she was really a good-hearted, cheery little woman, with a brisk manner and a flow of talk unequaled in Geneva Square. She had been born in the house she occupied, after the death of her father, and had grown up to assist her mother in ministering to the exactions of a continuous procession of lodgers. These came and went, married and died, but not one of the desirable young men had borne Miss Grabe to the altar so that when her mother died the fair julia almost despaired of attaining to the dignity of whitefoot nevertheless she continued to keep borders and to make attempts to captivate the hearts of such bachelors as she judged weak in character hitherto all of her efforts had been more or less of a mercantile character with an eye to money but when lucy and denzil appeared on the scene the poor little woman really fell in love with his handsome face but, in strange contrast to her other efforts, Miss Greeb never, for a moment, deemed that Lucian would marry her. He was her god, her ideal of manhood, and to him she offered worship and burnt incense after the manner of her kind. Denzil occupied a bedroom and a sitting room, both pleasant, airy apartments, looking out onto the square. Miss Greeb attended to his needs herself, and brought up his breakfast with her own fair hands, happy for the day if her admired lodger conversed with her for a few moments before reading the morning paper. Then Miss Greeb would retire to her own sitting-room, and indulge in day dreams which she well knew would never be realized. The romances she wove were of even more marvelous than those she read in her favorite penny novelettes. But unlike the printed tales, her romance never culminated in marriage— poor, brainless, silly, pitiful Miss Greeb; she would have made a good wife and a fond mother. But by some irony of fate she was destined to be neither, and the comedy of her husband-hunting youth was now changing into the lonely tragedy of disappointed spinsterhood. She was one of the world's unknown martyrs, and her fate merits tears rather than laughter. On the morning after his meeting with Berwin, the young barrister sat at breakfast was Miss Greeb in anxious attendance, having poured out his tea and handed him his paper, and ascertained that his breakfast was to his liking, Miss Greeb lingered about the room, putting this straight and that crooked, in the hopes that Lucian would converse with her. In this she was gratified, as Denzil wished to learn details about the strange man he had assisted on the previous night, and he knew that no one could afford him more precise information than his brisk landlady, to whom was known all the gossip of the neighbourhood. His first word made Miss Greeb flutter back to the table like a dove to its nest. Do you know anything about Number Thirteen? Asked Lucian, stirring his tea. Do I know anything about Number 13?' Repeated Miss Greeb in a shrill amazement. Of course, I do, Mr. Denzil. There ain't a thing I don't know about that house. Ghosts and vampires and crawling spectres live in it that they do. Do you call Mr. Berwin a ghost? "'No, nor nothing half so respectable. "'He is a mystery, sir. "'That's what Mr. Berwin is, "'and I don't care if he hears me commit myself so far.' "'In what way is he a mystery?' demanded Denzil, "'approaching the matter with more particularity. "'Why?' said Miss Grebe, "'evidently puzzled how to answer this leading question. "'No one can find out anything about him. "'He's full of secrets and underhand goings-on.' It ain't respectable not to be fair and above board, that it ain't. I see no reason why a quiet, living old gentleman should tell his private affairs to the whole square, remarked Lucian dryly. Those who have nothing bad to conceal needn't be afraid of speaking out, retorted Miss Grebes tartly. And the way in which Mr. Berwin lives is enough to make one think him a coiner, or a thief, or even a murderer, that it is. But what grounds have you to believe him any one of the three? This question also puzzled the landlady, as she had no reasonable grounds for her wild statements. Nevertheless, she made a determined attempt to substantiate them by hearsay evidence. "Mr. Berwin," she said, she in significant tones, "lives all alone in that haunted house." "Why not? Every man has the right to be a misanthrope if he chooses." He has no right to behave so in a respectable square, replied Miss Greaves, shaking her head. There's only two rooms of that large house furnished, and all the rest is given up to dusts and ghosts. Mr. Berwin won't have a servant to live under his roof, and Miss Kebby, who does his charring, says he's drink's awful. And then he has his meals sent in from the Nelson Hotel, round the corner, and he eats them all alone. Don't receive no letters, he don't read no newspapers, and he stays in all day, only coming out at night like an owl. If he ain't a criminal, Mr. Denzil, why does he carry on so? He may dislike his fellow-men and desire to live a secluded life. Miss Screeb still shook her head; he may dislike his fellow-men, she said with emphasis, but that don't keep him from seeing them. Ah, that a don't is there anything wrong in that said lucian contemptuous of these cobweb objections perhaps not mr denzil but where do those he sees come from how do you mean miss grabs they don't go in by the front door that's certain continued the little woman darkly there's only one entrance to the square sir and blinders the policeman is frequently on duty there Two or three nights he's met with Mr. Berwin coming in after dark, and exchanged friendly greetings with him, and each time Mr. Berwin has been alone, well, well, what of that said Denzil impatiently, this much, Mr. Denzil, that blinders has gone around the square after seeing Mr. Berwin and has seen shadows, two or three of them on the sitting-room blind now, sir cried Miss Greeb, clinching her argument. Mr Berwin came into the square alone, how did his visitors get in? Perhaps by the back, conjectured Lucian. Again Miss Greeb shook her head. I know the back of number thirteen as well as I know my own face, she declared. There's a yard and a fence, but no entrance. To get in there you have to go in by the front door or down the airy steps, and you can't do neither without coming past blinders at the square entrance. "'And that,' finished Miss Greeb triumphantly, "'these visitors don't do. "'They may have come into the square during the day "'when Blinders was not on duty.' "'No, sir,' said Mrs. Greeb, ready for this objection. "'I've thought of that myself, "'and as my duty to the square I have inquired, that I have. "'On two occasions I've asked the day policeman, "'and he says no one passed.' "'Then,' said Lucian, rather puzzled, Mr Berwin cannot live alone in the house. Begging your pardon, I'm sure, cried the pertinacious woman. But he does. Miss Kebby has been all over the house, and there isn't another soul in it. No, Mr Denzel, take it what way you will. There's something that ain't right about Mr Berwin, and if that's his real name, which I don't believe it is. Why, Miss Greeves? Just because I don't, replied the landlady, with feminine logic. "'And, if you think of having anything to do with this mystery, Mr. Denzil, "'I beg of you not to, "'else you may come to something as is too terrible to consider, that you may. "'Such as?' "'Oh, I don't know,' cried Mrs. Greeb, "'tossing her head and gliding toward the door. "'It ain't for me to say what I think. "'I'm the last person in the world to meddle with what don't concern me. "'That I am.' "'And thus, ending the conversation, Miss Greed vanished.' with significant look and pursed up lips. The reason of this last speech and rapid retreat lay in the fact that Miss Greeb could bring no tangible charge against her opposite neighbor, and therefore hinted at his complicity in all kinds of horrors, which she was quite unable to define save in terms more or less vague. Lucian dismissed such hints of criminality from his mind as the outcome of Miss Greeb's very lively imagination. Yet even though he reduced her communications to bare facts he could not but acknowledge that there was something queer about mr berwin and his mode of life the man's self-pity and self-condemnation his hint that certain people wished to do him harm the curious episode of the shadows on the blinds these things engaged the curiosity of denzil in no ordinary degree and he could not but admit to himself that it would greatly ease his mind to arrive at some reasonable explanation of Berwin's eccentricities. Nevertheless, he held that he had no right to pry into the secrets of the stranger, and honourably strove to dismiss the tenant of number 13 and his tantalizing environments from his mind, but such dismissal of unworthy curiosity was more difficult to effect than he expected for the next week lucian resolutely banished the subject from his thoughts and declined to discuss the matter further with miss Greeb. that little woman all on fire with curiosity made various inquiries of her gossips regarding the doings of mr berwin and in default of reporting the same to her lodger occupied herself in discussing them with her neighbors The consequence of this incessant gossip was that the eyes of the whole square fixed themselves on number 13 in expectation of some catastrophe, although no one knew exactly what was going to happen. This undefinable feeling of impending disaster communicating itself to Lucian stimulated his curiosities to such a pitch that, with some feeling of shame for his weakness, he walked around the square on two several evenings in the hope of meeting Berwin but on both occasions he was unsuccessful. On the third evening he was more fortunate, for having worked at his law-books until late at night, he went out for a brisk walk before retiring to rest. The night was cold, and there had been a slight fall of snow, so Lucian wrapped himself up well, lighted his pipe, and proceeded to take air by tramping twice or thrice around the square. Overhead the sky was clear and frosty, with chill glittering stars and a wintry moon a thin covering of snow lay on the pavement and there was a white rime to the bare branches of the central trees on coming to the house of berwin the barrister saw that the sitting-room was lighted up and the curtains undrawn so that the window presented a square of illuminated blind even as he looked two shadows darkened the white surface the shadows of a man and a woman evidently they had come between the lamp and the window and so quite unknowingly revealed their actions to the watcher curious to see the end of this shadow pantomime lucian stood still and looked intently at the window the two figures seemed to be arguing for their heads nodded violently and their arms waved constantly they retreated out of the sphere of light and again came into it still continuing their furious gestures Unexpectedly, the male shadow seized the female by the throat, and swung her like a feather to and fro. The struggling figures reeled out of the radiance, and Lucian heard a faint cry. Thinking that something was wrong, he rushed up the steps and rang the bell violently. Almost before the sound died away, the light in the room was extinguished, and he could see nothing more. Again and again he rang, but without attracting attention. So Lucien finally left the house and went in search of Blinders, the policeman, to narrate his experience. At the entrance of Geneva Square, he ran against a man whom he recognized in the clear moonlight. To his surprise, he beheld Mark Berwin. End of chapter 2. Recording by Monica Canupi.